came to America when he was six months old. He started as a stock boy at the grocery store. Eventually, he owned it. He turned it into the biggest grocery store chain in New York City. He now owns a real estate company worth over $2 billion. He ran for mayor of New York City. He almost won. You can't make this story up. This is the Cats Roundtable with John Katsimatidis. Everywhere around the world, they come to America. Every time that flag's unfurled, they come to America. Good morning, America. This is the Cats Roundtable. John Katsimatidis here Sunday morning. One great show for you today. Uh, we have Mario Tonomo talking about what's going on in Europe. Larry Kudlow, the, the world's greatest economist about the economy. Uh, Dr. Michalos, how are we going to live longer? Dick Morris, Dick Morris has got his ear to the ground and knows what's going on. Judge Janine Pirro. And let's start off the morning with Ty McCoy, the former Assistant Secretary of the Air Force, and tell us what the hell was shot down again in up in Alaska. Well, it, it's unbelievable, and I think what it is is that the this has backfired very badly on the Chinese, who have been busy sending spy satellites, extorting Chinese students, putting CCP, Chinese police stations, sending in fentanyl, seizing the South China Sea, engaging in many things, including a failure to restrain the North Korean nuclear program and uh, sending money to the Biden Center and many other things. But I think that the balloon uh, crystallized for everybody in their mind the uh, really deep and aggressive intent and the very powerful forces behind the Chinese aggressiveness. And it wakes everybody up as to, uh, as the Japanese said, after they attacked Pearl Harbor, uh, Admiral Yamamoto, uh, you have awakened the sleeping dragon and you will regret it. And they, they, they woke uh, us and they regretted it. That's right. That's right. They, they did the same thing. This certainly was not Pearl Harbor or a 9-11 attack or attack uh, on Poland by the Germans or uh, the, even a, an attack like the Russians on Kiev. But it, it crystallized in a lot of people's minds who had not been awake to many of the things that the Chinese government has been doing and planning to do, has a tremendous amount of money and, and talent and people, very smart people. And, of course, most of the Chinese people are wonderful and they're great friends and they would like to have the kind of freedoms and the kind of uh, human treatment uh, that we get. But the people that run China are a very harsh, aggressive uh, group of people uh, to their own people, to other people that they conquer, or the way they treat people. And uh, balloons are just one of the many spheres. And, and this was just the, the Alaska situation. It was another balloon because nobody confirmed yet it was a balloon, but that's what you've heard from your sources. Yes, it was about 40,000 feet. It was lower level. Uh, it could have been uh, some something that uh, was mistaken. You know, you have people, including uh, drug runners, you have people using uh, balloons for, for weather, for agriculture, for chasing fish, uh, and and so forth. So it may have been that uh, this was uh, not, a, not a Chinese balloon. It could have been a more innocent balloon, but nobody... Uh, at this point, uh, other than making sure it was unmanned, wanted to to take a chance. And so they, they uh, took it out. And I think there's going to be a lot more scrutiny and a lot more alerting as to things that are in our airspace. Because as we know, uh, the Chinese have tremendous capabilities now, which they didn't used to have, in their spy satellites. They also have uh, cameras on passenger planes. They can fly over critical sites using charter jets. 
they can use all of their drones that they manufacture and sell to collect intelligence. So in a way, it's a little bit crazy that they continued this balloon program. And so you have to ask, why did they do it? And part of it goes to just normal bureaucracy is they had a balloon program. Uh, People were getting paid. People were flying balloons. They were collecting intelligence on all those people didn't particularly want to go out of business and out of work when all these other means of gathering intelligence were uh, added to the pile. So they just kept going. And I think they miscalculated badly and uh, and so forth. But the, the Chinese have a, a great uh, history. Uh, they use balloons uh, uh, and lanterns in the, the uh, 11th and 12th century. The Mongols used balloons uh, for uh, navigation and signaling in their attack on Poland in 1241. So balloons have been uh, used when they can and as they can. And in the modern era, they, era, they started using them in the the late 1700s and 1800s for battlefield surveillance. So balloons are quite a have quite a history, and they have a place, and they are in in an area between you know uh, 60 and 100,000 feet that are a lot of people classify as near space. It's not considered, you know, air, airspace. It is sort of airspace, and it's not space. It's sort of a, an area that people are more and more defining as near space. And, of course, there's competition and a certain amount of lack of regulation and a lack of laws and a lack of uh, questions on sovereignty in that near space area over different countries. And so that has been an area that is kind of a gray zone, and the Chinese have been operating in it. Uh, we were actually attacked in the United States in World War II by the Japanese, who sent uh, incendiary balloons uh, from uh, Japan uh, and some ships, I guess, into the United States uh, to set fires after the Doolittle raid on Tokyo. And the, and the balloons didn't do much good uh, in, in landing, trying to start fires in the United States because it was a very wet year. Uh, but one family did stumble across in Oregon a, a balloon that had uh, pyrotechnics, and it exploded and killed them, as recorded, uh, that there was an attack and there were uh, those casualties back as far as uh, World War II. Uh, and ourselves, on our side, in uh, the era, era around 1956, before we had developed the very good cameras and spy satellites, we launched about 450 balloons. Uh, over Russia and China for photographic uh, collection and intelligence services. So balloons uh, come, come and go. I've been used uh, very often, and we don't, and we didn't, I guess it, it reality finally hits, and uh, now we know uh, it, it's happening more than we know. You know, people have known about it, the, the Air Forces, the Allied Air Forces in different countries. Uh, people have, have seen this, and I think a lot of people have sort of um, – uh, shrugged their shoulders a little bit in some of the countries because they said, well, uh, the, the Russians, the Americans, the Chinese, and, and some other countries have satellites up there uh, looking down on us, so why worry about the balloons unless they, they, they start landing and dropping explosives on us? So there's been a little bit of a, uh, you know, a carelessness or incaution, if you would. So, uh, But now I think we, we see that even the, the, the refinement of sensors that can be hung from a balloon can give additional clarity and persistence and uh, updating uh, to uh, intelligence forces that are really at the top of their game. Ty McCoy, former Assistant Secretary of the Air Force, thank you so much for coming on, and thank you for uh, your guidance. You're very much welcome. It's great to be with you. You all have a great show. I love listening, and God bless you, and God bless America.
With us today is Janine Pirro, one smart lady, and she is very much concerned about what's going on with our security systems in our country, uh, especially with that balloon floating all over uh, the, the country and nobody does anything about it. Janine Pirro, tell us, how can this happen? I mean, me and you grew up in an era where, where uh, they were shooting down everything. Well, what happened? <laughs> well, first of all, good morning, Janet, and good morning to all your viewers. Uh, you know, as I get ready for my own show at 11 o'clock, uh, I'm going to have Secretary Mark Esper on to talk about this very issue. But the issue of the balloon should be one uh, that every American is concerned about. First of all, the, the, the word balloon connotes a party, a child's party, an innocent, innocuous, nothing uh, but this is a spy craft. Make no mistake that China has made an assessment uh, that they can uh, uh, fly these spy crafts over the United States. And let me just kind of get in the middle of this right now. The balloon flies between 60 and 100,000 feet above ground. Now, why is that significant? That is significant because if it goes above that 60,000 square um, uh, feet high, I should say, if it goes above that, an F-22 cannot take it down. They are in a position where they can collect information and not be shot down. Now, let's go back to the beginning and ask, I want to ask you if any of this makes sense. The administration says that, well, we knew about it on the 28th of January, but we didn't tell the president until the 31st. That's three days. The question is, number one, is that true? Uh, is the White House lying, which is not uh, beyond what they've done in the past? Or is the Pentagon and the Department of Defense making its own assessment without even discussing this with the president? So I don't know what the answer to that is, but as we go forward once someone in montana finds you know sees this balloon notifies uh, uh, uh the officials and norad gets involved they say okay all right this is a chinese spy craft or balloon and it's nothing to worry about except that that is hovering over our intercontinental ballistic missile sites and i understand from military some people in the military that they can see planes and the direction of those planes underground all right we allowed them the biden administration allowed them to hover over the most sensitive missile sites we have for a significant period of time and didn't take it down in montana when they knew what the currents were and they could have maneuvered it china comes in and they say oh it's just a meteorological balloon we find out that they lied. What a shock. But the gang that can't shoot straight doesn't know what to say or what to do. And so in spite, instead of saying, let's take this baby down, they say, oh, it's about climate. It's not about climate. Now we find out that it's capable of maneuvering that it did not fly off path or off course. Yeah, somehow and somehow it, it found it found the um, uh, our air yeah, base. In, um, uh, yeah, I mean, that's right. not a coincidence. Right. Then they say, well, you know, it happened during the Trump administration. Well, really, if it did, how come Trump doesn't know about it? Pompeo doesn't know about it. Esper doesn't know about it. And Bolton, who doesn't even like Trump, didn't know about it. What is going on? And the worst part of this, John, is the fact that when Judy Woodruff from PBS says, you know, are you concerned about that? Oh, no, no, no. Do you talk to Xi Jinping? Oh, yeah, we talked to him. And she said, 
since this happened. He said, well, no, no. Let me tell you something. Our president doesn't have the backbone to call Xi Jinping. And when General Austin put in a call to his counterpart in China, his counterpart would not take General Austin's call. So we're the, we're the wimps. China's saying, you know, we're the victims here. And the United States, you know, should be apologizing. And the greatest part of all this is that we, that the United States didn't stop Blinken from going over until we found out about it. They were going to send Blinken over there. So China's test balloon, and that's what it was, a test balloon, is the United States doesn't have the backbone to fight back, whether we go into Taiwan or we come back within the United States airspace. They have breached our sovereignty. We have a president who's a wuss. And we've got the gang that can't figure out who they should tell, what they should say. And there should be a standard operating procedure where they actually practice. What do we do when we got a balloon from another country, from certainly not an ally, an enemy? What do we do? But this administration doesn't care because they're opening the southern border. They're opening the skies. And America is being victimized. I I just don't understand it, Janine, because... uh we got open borders, and like you said, this our southern border, uh, our, it looks like our aeronautical border. Nobody's paying attention to it like, the way they used to. I mean, they, well, they're not paying attention, and here's the problem. Uh, when, when Joe Biden was like, oh, there's nothing to worry about, the truth is that General Austin said, we shut down our comms. Now, that may be a standard operating procedure, but they shut down the comms in the event the Chinese, and now we find out that they had antenna on this this spy craft that was able to pick up communications. So if who cares? They if if we shot it down, they got everything they needed as this spy craft traversed the United States, and we're like a bunch of wimps saying, "Oh no, oh no!" And and the president doesn't have the backbone to call up Xi Jinping and say, "Don't you." ever do that again he's like i don't want to he said to judy woodruff i don't want to have a problem with china you know we don't want to risk you know breaking relations well you know what this guy is too old and too infirm and too weak to be the commander-in-chief of the greatest nation on earth that he is pummeling himself and allowing to be pummeled into the ground well the free world is depending on the united states of america to keep the entire world free uh, you know, Europe by itself cannot do it. Uh, Australia by itself can't do it. Japan by itself can't do it. They're all depending on the United States of America to keep no world freedom. The no other problem I have, the other problem I have, Janine, you know what it is? China is moving at warp speed as far yep. as technology, as far as weapon weapons, and and. And we are going at a snail's pace. So well, at, some play, at some time, we're going to have a problem. Well, you know, there are those who predict that we'll have a war with China in 2025, some military experts. And if it weren't for the Republicans holding firm, we wouldn't have any money in the defense budget. And we are sending so much to Ukraine for them to protect their borders. And, you know, I get it. At the same time, what we've got to do is we've got to make sure that we protect our borders, that we have sufficient, um, uh, you know, tanks and aircrafts and everything else to be able to f- defend our own sovereignty. And that's not happening. That is not a priority with this administration. 
Janine, you're going to be on uh, uh, at 11 o'clock on WABC Radio, 770 on the dials, com, and and on your iPhone, uh, 77WABC app. Um, What are you going to be talking about at 11 o'clock? Well, we're going to have uh, former Secretary of Defense Mark Esper on, and I'm going to ask him about all these questions. I'm going to ask him about whether we knew about this, what we should do about it, what his take is on this whole scenario, and what he would have done if he were in this situation. Now, the uh, the important question you should ask him, uh, Janine, is should they have shot it down when it was over the Pacific? Should they have shot it down when it was over the Air Force Base? What are you doing over to our Air Force Base? I mean, and did somebody order them? Did somebody order them not to shoot it down? And they said, well, we don't want anybody hurting Montana. Larry Kudlow was on my show last week, and he says his wife is from Montana, and you can drive three hours and not run into one human being, so nobody's going to get hurt. Not only that, they could assess the currents. They could assess, look, we're pretty smart with this stuff. We could assess where we could pull it down. We could even, you could even put a net over it. Well, those are the questions. We need, the American people need the truth, and please Drag it out of this guy, find out what the truth is, and I'll be listening at 11 o'clock on your show. You got it. All right, John. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to the Cats Roundtable with John Katsimatidis. With us today is Andrew Natsios, and he was a public servant for a long time, originally from Massachusetts, and uh, he held a number of uh, positions in the administration of President George W. Bush, and uh, he was the, United, the administrator for the United States Agency of International Development, and we're going to find out what that is. And now he's teaching at the Texas A&M University. Uh, Andrew, tell us about the United States Agency for International Development and what they do. USAID was created by President Kennedy in 1961. And, uh, but it, it's the agency, its predecessors ran the Marshall Plan in Europe, ran the aid for Greece and Turkey. In fact, there was a large AID presence in the 1950s uh, by its predecessor agencies during the Greek Civil War. And it's, but it provides uh, development assistance around the world to our allies and friends to about 80 countries. And um, it also has the largest disaster relief function of any aid agency in the world. It's a huge. And um, there are about 200 AID personnel right now on the ground in search and rescue. Uh, it's called a DART team, Disaster Assistance Response Team. And they have uh, search and rescue dogs and uh, uh, different kinds of equipment they use. Well, Mr. Natsios, I'm, I'm glad to hear this because I, I, I never heard of it before. And uh, I'm glad it's in existence and, and helping people. And the earthquake that was in Syria and Turkey seems to be a, a gigantic uh, uh, problem. And so many people have lost their lives. Give us an update of what, what's going on. 
I'm sure there are many thousands more that are buried in the rubble they haven't and there are about 88,000 people have been uh, injured. Um, but there are areas of Syria that are uh, inaccessible because the Assad government has not allowed anybody to go into the rebel-held areas unless they go through Damascus first, and uh, the regime controls the aid that's being distributed. So there are political complications in Syria. Turkey is, you know, not in the middle of a civil war, and they have a competent... Uh, emergency management agency called AFAD, and uh, they appear to be giving the right kinds of instructions to aid workers from other countries. So uh, there's a lot of aid pouring into the Turkish areas, much more than the Syrian areas. And, and you you think that the numbers that eventually are going to come up much higher than 22,000 people yes, killed? Uh, we had an earthquake in, in uh, Armenia in 1988. And the, if you look at the official tallies, I think it said 20 or 30,000 people died. Well, Gorbachev was in power. It was extremely embarrassing to him. So the Russians simply stopped counting. The AID staff that was there, they said the actual figure is around 90,000. Now, I don't think Turkey's going to be that bad, but uh, I, I, it's not going to stay at 22,000. It's going to go up. And, and there, we had an earthquake in Haiti. We still don't know how many people died in it. We, we think about 100,000. It was in the capital city. This was some years ago. Those numbers are staggering. But many poor countries don't have the capacity to respond. And while they put in place these building codes, they don't enforce them. Or people take bribes to avoid having to enforce when they build buildings. And so these, particularly these tower, these apartment buildings that are 10 or 20 feet high, if the, if the uh, floor is not attached to the wall with rebar when they put the cement in, the, what happens is the, it's like an accordion. All of the, the floors collapse on top of each other, and then the building collapses, and almost everybody dies in those uh, high rises. So uh, it all depends on the quality of the construction. We noticed in the Armenian earthquake uh, in 1988, the czarist built buildings during the czarist time before 1918, did not collapse. <laughs> it were the buildings built during the communist period where there was a lot of bribery and uh, poor construction techniques that led to these buildings collapsing. Well, that, that is mind-boggling that the, the buildings built hundreds of years ago did not collapse and the buildings uh, uh, built now are collapsing. My God. We got a minute left. What else do you want to tell the American people? What are you doing now? Oh, I mean, I knew you I, when I, you I, worked uh, uh, during the uh, Bush administration. I, I, I ran for Bush 41, the elder Bush, the disaster management function. So the DART teams that are in Turkey now, we, we invented them in 1989 when I was the director of the Office of Foreign Disaster Assistance. So these are, they were very small when we invented them 35 years ago or 33 years ago, um, they're much, much larger now, and the technology has advanced in terms of search and rescue. But the big problem in, in Turkey and Syria right now are the temperatures. Uh, this is not the summertime. It's the height of the winter, and the temperatures are below freezing. People will freeze to death, unfortunately, or die of exposure, particularly if they're already injured. Uh, and and uh, there's so many people injured that it's overwhelmed the hospital systems and health clinics. And that's the sad thing. They've set up a lot of uh, tents uh, for uh, emergency medical care. But the emergency phase at the beginning is always the most chaotic until uh, the infrastructure is put in place to care for people. 
So we'll see things stabilize next week, but a lot of people will die in the meantime. Well, Andrew Natsios, uh, thank you for uh, for uh, serving the world. Actually, when when in a case like this under uh, the administration of uh, George uh, W. Bush, and and uh, God bless you, and uh, I hope uh, we can c- continue to help people of the world. Thank you so much. Thank you, John. Welcome back to the Cats Roundtable with John Katsimatidis. With us today is Nikki Giannopoulos, uh, a resident of Pennsylvania, a good resident of, of Pittsburgh, and uh, he is going to—he's a political strategist in the state of Pennsylvania. Nikki Giannopoulos, what's going on? I mean, I know your senator is not well. Uh, you, you have a lot of changes in, in Pennsylvania. Give us an update. Welcome to Pennsylvania. It's about time you got somebody on from PA. We had complaints we have- that we're not covering Pennsylvania enough, so you're on. All right, we got a, we have a new governor. You know, he's amazing, Shapiro. Okay, he's in the he's like a Rendell. He's Rendellian, let's call him. Okay, well, he knows Governor to- Rendell trained him. I understand. Well, I'll tell you something. This kid is a, is is amazing. He started out as a House member, moved on, became a commissioner of Montgomery County, and then chairman of the commission, became attorney general. Next thing you know, he's the governor. We got a new senator, as you're aware of, and, you know, he had a little little uh, problem the other day, and we have him hospitalized. Now, that's Fetterman, and he's from here in Pittsburgh, and he's, uh, we have to wait to see what will happen, okay? He had a bit of a, a defibrillation-type situation where he has, not only a pacemaker, but a defibrillator in him. But he's supposedly going to come out of this all right. But we can't have him out because of the, an extended uh, absence. It changes the formula down there in uh, Washington. And, off, and, off, and it is a known fact that our good Governor Casey also has uh, prostate cancer. And he's going to be okay. But we can't have either one of them out of there on the Democratic side. Now, what, let's talk about Philadelphia for a minute, okay? You can't get anything done in Philadelphia. You know why? All they're talking about is Super Bowl. Okay, John. Yes. Super, Super Bowl. But I, uh, I think Philadelphia has the edge to this weekend. I believe so. And by the way, one of our senators from out there, Vincent Hughes, 20-year senator, state senator, his wife, Cheryl Lee Ralph is going to sing at the Super Bowl. She's going to do one of the ceremonial songs. I'm not sure which one, but she's an Emmy Award winner and a Tony Award winner, I believe. And she's going to be performing. So our state senator wife is going to be performing. Anything else you want to tell the uh, people this weekend? Like this, you know, we're, we're, we're now, we have this new governor. We're thrilled. He moved up one of his people in the attorney general's office to take over to be the acting attorney general, okay, which was the right thing to do. But people were excited. You know, and we love western Pennsylvania. We love Pennsylvania. You know, we don't get a lot of snow. We don't get a lot of hurricanes, obviously. We don't get any any tornadoes. It's a great place to live. So I, I don't like it that all your New Yorkers are moving out of New York, they say, moving to Florida. Come to Pennsylvania. Give us a shot. How's that? Well, Nick, Nick Giannopoulos, thank you so much for coming on, and thank you for uh, 
giving us an update, and we'll we'll have you on again. And uh, whenever there's any breaking news, please uh, call us, and we'll we'll do the breaking news. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. With us today is Mario Economo, a former banker who worked in New York, London, and Zurich, and he he usually gives us a good report on what's going on in Europe because the way Europe goes, so goes the United States. So, Mario Economo, give us an update. What's going on in Europe? Yes, good morning, uh, Cats Roundtable. So the big uh, unfortunate news uh, this week is the very large earthquake in Turkey and in Syria. Uh, to give our American listeners an idea, this is an area roughly the size uh, from Washington, D.C. up to Boston. Um, there's roughly 13 million people who live in that area, and uh, as of right now, roughly 3 million are homeless as a result of the earthquake. Uh, Roughly 300 miles of earth ripped apart, and it moved about 10 feet westward. And they're saying that the amount of energy released in the first quake at, uh, just after 4 a.m. was equivalent to 150 atomic bombs. Uh, Greece, the country that I hail from, was actually the first country to send in one search and rescue team, and it was followed by a subsequent search and rescue team. And um, the uh, Turks have been very grateful. They have actually uh, been posting on social media uh, how helpful and wonderful the Greek search and rescue teams have been, as well as the Greek people have been, in sending aid. Um, with respect to aid, we know that Germany has approved uh, about 26 million euros uh, of funds to be allocated to Syria. And we know that the U.S. will be suspending for 180 days the sanctions against Syria so that aid can get into Syria. In fact, the first convoy arrived earlier this week. Now, I understand. I spoke to somebody uh, on Friday that the deaths are almost uh, 22,000 and they expect to, to rise a great deal. Yes, that's uh, true. Uh, the government is officially saying they are going to be between 20 and 21,000, but unofficial estimates are saying they will be upwards of 200,000, and that's merely by doing a calculation based on the number of buildings that have actually collapsed and the number of people who lived in those buildings um, and the fact that they have been able to find a lot of people alive. But as the days pass, of course, finding more people alive um, begins to become a challenge. And there's a discussion now that realistically, by Monday, um, they will stop the search and rescue uh, part of the operation, and they will go to actually uh, the demolition part, uh, removing the uh, broken and destroyed buildings. There has been uh, a meeting in the EU, one of the regular scheduled ones earlier this week, uh, in the middle of the week. What they did there was they discussed that they will meet again in March to discuss the donations that the EU will be making to help rebuild both uh, Turkey and Syria. Uh, and, of course, there is one very big pressing issue, and that is the very large wave of uh, migration that they expect to happen of people who've lost their homes and essentially their families who are going to start to make their way westward and into Europe, crossing, of course, over into Greece and into other parts of Europe. How is the price of oil going in Europe right now? There was certain a lot of reports going on. I was on uh, uh, on Fox last week, and uh, oil was at seventy two, seventy three dollars, and uh, Goldman Sachs uh, announced that it's going to go to a hundred. And this morning, this morning on Friday morning, 
on Friday morning, actually, uh, that the Russians say they're making cutbacks because they want oil at $100. There's a war going on between oil uh, countries that, that produce oil and the United States that wants cheaper oil, along with Canada and the other countries. And by creating a problem in Russia, and by Goldman Sachs uh, uh, saying that uh, it's going to go to 100, what's going to happen? What's going on in Europe? What do you hear in Europe? So uh, that's a very good point. Yes, it's true. The Russians are going to have announced they will start cutting back on oil. We also know that the Chinese now are opening up their market and they're consuming substantially more oil. I suspect, given the uh, price of natural gas, which is very low right now in uh, in the markets, and that's due to a very lo- uh, largely a mild winter in Europe and the essentially overstocking of supplies in natural gas, uh, oil itself uh, also started to pull back a bit. And that's why the Russians have decided they're going to limit the supply in the markets, something that, of course, the Saudis also want to do because it benefits them to have uh, oil as high as possible and preferably at $100 a barrel. It's important to note that, however, that even if oil gets to the, Euro, uh, the European Union's price cap of 65 bucks a barrel, uh, Russia still makes roughly $100 billion, uh, on oil. So Russia will continue to make a lot of money. The fact that Russia has been sanctioned and Russian oil is not allowed into the European Union is interesting in and of itself because we know for a fact that many countries, India being one of them, Malaysia being another one, are actually refining product and they're actually selling it. They're branding it as their own and they're selling it um, to uh, many countries and through other intermediaries. uh, And eventually it does end up in Europe. Having said that, the price at the pump, gasoline price at the pump in Europe is up slightly uh, in some countries more than others. Um, But I anticipate that uh, if the Russians do decide, along with the other countries that produce oil in OPEC, that they want to drive the price up, they will cut back on the supply. And there was another report. There was another report from a very credible source that it was the United States and that's the accusation, and I don't know much about it other than that, that uh, blew up that uh, uh, pipeline that was supplying Germany uh, with Russian gas. What have you heard on that? Yes, the Nord Stream 2, three of the four pipelines that had been blown up. And there is a, a report which is going around, which is not being carried by the mainstream media, and specifically that there was a NATO exercise going on in that area and that it was U.S. divers who actually had put uh, explosives around it, um, uh, which were remote-controlled explosives and which were, uh, could be detonated at a later date, which is, in fact, what this report is saying. The White House has, of course, denied this and said this is absolutely false. The Russians, on their part, are saying we've said all along that it wasn't us who blew it up. It was the Americans. We had absolutely no reason to destroy a a multi-billion dollar investment that we made. Um, One thing is for sure, uh, whether it was the U.S. or not, uh, the reality is uh, Russia and Europe, they will never be friends again, at least not in my lifetime, and realistically, maybe not even in the next generation's lifetime. Uh, What the Europeans have done in sanctioning Russia in the way they have and not allowing Russia to make its case and to meet with the Russians is only going to hurt the Europeans in the long term. Mario, we're out of time, uh, but uh, I believe we should find out who's telling the truth uh, more or less. Personally, I don't know what the truth is anymore. But thank you for coming on, and we'll catch up with you again real soon. 
Thank you. Enjoy your day. Hi, it's Lou Dobbs for Priority Gold, America's precious metals dealer. These are volatile times with high inflation, soaring debt, wars on multiple continents, and rising financial stress. Central banks are buying gold to diversify their reserves, so are many Americans. Call Priority Gold and find out how precious metals can help you diversify your portfolio. They're highly rated and happy to help. Call 1-866-303-6357 or get a free gold guide at PriorityGoldGuide.com. That's Priority PriorityGoldGuide.com. With us today is Dr. Peter Michalos, a friend, a scientist, a doctor, and one and a historian. But today he wants to talk about one of the problems plaguing humans and our, our people in, the, in our country is hormones. Dr. Michalos, give us an update. What's going on with that? Well, hormones are uh, actually a fascinating uh, topic because we actually have 50 hormones in the human body. And I was motivated to talk about this topic because I was just having a discussion with Dr. Teresita Moviglia, one of the leading uh, stem cell experts in the world in Buenos Aires, Argentina. And we just happened to be talking about the topic of hormones and how that affects health and it's one of the things that I really started to think about. And when when she mentioned that there were 50 hormones, I started doing a little bit more research on it. And really, our hormones, if they're too high or too low, the levels can be a problem. And they can be associated with things from fatigue, depression, anxiety, high cholesterol. And basically, hormones carry messages through our bloodstream to our organs, like our skin, our muscles, and um there's, it's basically that's what makes up our endocrine system, and they control our metabolism, our homeostasis, another Greek word, which is basically our internal balance of everything. They control our growth, how tall or short we might be. They control our sexual function. They control reproduction. They control our sleep-wake uh, cycle and even our uh, mood. And uh, some of the things, for example, in women, irregular menstruation and polycystic ovary syndrome, if your hormones are imbalanced, you might get regularly irregular periods. For example, in men, if their testosterone is low, they get more belly fat, they get more weak muscles, they get erectile dysfunction, and they get muscle atrophy, lack of energy. And uh, during hormones, we see what, during puberty, we see what hormones do. In teenagers, we see the acne, which causes hormonal changes in the skin and the oils in the skin. And then we know in diabetes that insulin is a hormone. And uh, in diabetes, you either are not making enough insulin or you become resistant to insulin. What does that mean? Basically, you can have a normal blood glucose levels, but your insulin levels can be high. So one of the things you can ask your doctor to do, which they normally don't do, is check your insulin levels. Because you can have super high insulin levels, and, uh, and, and but your glucose levels can be totally normal, but you're pumping out constant. So people who constantly are snacking and eating all day, they're stressing out their pancreas to push out more and more and more insulin. And eventually your cells say, I can't take it anymore because they're like the taxi cabs that bring the sugar into the cells. And eventually you just keep pumping out insulin and the cells become resistant to it and say, we can't take it anymore. And that's what insulin resistance is. That's a hormonal condition. So is there a test that people should go to their doctor and get a test if they feel? Yeah. You, you've seen, uh, is there hormones that happen uh, when uh, women are given uh, special hormones when they're trying to get pregnant? 
Yeah, no, absolutely. That's one of the things that can affect hormone uh, imbalances. And also sometimes these hormones can be associated with even things long-term like problems with cancer and mood swings. For example, if you take uh, certain steroids or, or anabolic hormones, they can affect behavior. They can cause aggressive behavior. They can cause lack of sleep. They can cause us to overeat. They can raise our blood sugar levels. So basically, there's this delicate balance, and we're basically a bag of chemicals, whether we want to believe it or not. And that balance is so important, keeping it under control. Like, for example, people who get hyperthyroid, they have anxiety, their heart races faster, and some people even get atrial fibrillation, an abnormal heart rhythm from elevated uh, thyroid. So like any condition, we just basically need to get things like a thyroid profile test. Ask your doctor, because many times now on routine tests, they won't do it. You can ask about your insulin level, especially if you have a family history of diabetes, because now they're showing that even though your glucose level might be high, if your insulin levels are high, that actually helps to speed up atherosclerosis and plaque in people's hearts. So that's another test you can ask your doctor, please check my insulin levels. I'd like to know because not, it's not just hemoglobin A1C that tells us the percent of sugar that's attached to your red blood cells. But knowing your insulin levels can be very helpful. And now we've learned something new that the fasting and intermittent fasting helps to bring the insulin levels down to normal. Because if you're snacking around the clock, you're constantly pushing out insulin the hormone insulin from your pancreas. But when you do that fasting, guess what? Your insulin levels start to drop. So people get tested uh, three months after doing intermittent fasting. They start noticing that their insulin levels start going back to more normal levels. Well, thank you, Dr. Peter Mihalos. Thank you for helping all our uh, listeners to, to, to be healthier, live longer. And like we always tell them, always check with your doctor to, to, to make sure and do your own research and to make sure what we're telling them, I'll meet them at the age of 100. And thanks to John Casmatis for giving us the microphone to get the truth out. Thank you so much. You're listening to the Cats Roundtable. Only in America can a guy from anywhere go to sleep upon and wake up a Larry Kudlow, I mean, we've had some week up and down, like, uh, like usual. And the big question is, uh, last week, uh, uh, oil was down to $73. I hate to keep bringing it up. And now it's back up to 79 Goldman Sachs is, is saying 100 And Russia today uh, made a statement that they're going to cut production because they want $100 oil. And my statement on Fox last week, it says, if I get, we get $100 oil again, my comment was, oh, my God, here we go again. Larry Kudlow, to you. You know, John, that stuff is really, uh, it's a great point. It's really important point. Uh, oil is back to $80. Brent European is, is five bucks higher. And you're right about Russia. Uh, they may they may cut off just as a threat. So you've got the State of the Union speech where the president basically gives oil ten years to live, right? He says ten more years, which is just utter nonsense. And he goes and attacks big oil. You know, big oil's making money. Sure, they're making money, uh, 
they're making money in part because prices are too high and prices are too high is because the production is still down from 2019 pre-COVID and all of his policies as articulated in the State of the Union continues the war against fossil fuels. And another point here, you know, $80, maybe it's gone to 90 or 100, I don't know, $3.50 gasoline. Oil should be somewhere between 50 and 60 bucks, which is where it was during the Trump years. The price of gasoline should be slightly over $2. And the middle class is still suffering from this, let's not forget. And refined petroleum products affect every corner, every nook and cranny of the American economy. So you got a president that wants to end oil in 10 years. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, prices are high. They may go higher. And if they do go higher, we're going to have higher inflation. We're going to have higher interest rates. We're going to have lower real wages for the middle class. And we'll probably go into recession. So this is a very bad story. One thing leads to another, and the whole policy is bad. John, I will say this. Nobody has a better handle on the oil prices and the inflation rate than John Katz. <laughs> You've been the last year or two have been phenomenal. So I don't want to see it either. Look, but again, the policy is wrong, and you have the president. The whole world watches the State of the Union address, and all he does is attack big oil. He wants to tax them. He wants to control their profits. And he wants to end uh, fossil fuels in 10 years. This is just utter nonsense. It's nonsense. Utter nonsense. Uh, Larry, we can't, the country can't run on wind power and solar energy. I mean, it's a joke. All I know is the stock market is saying things are not as bad as you think. Profits, which are the mother's milk of stocks, are actually coming in better than expectations. Some companies are losing money. I know that. And there's some job cuts going on. I get that, too. But the fact is, overall, it's not as bad. Stocks look like they're kind of coming back. This week, they were down slightly, but it's been okay. So I don't want to see an oil shock. An oil shock means an interest rate shock means a Fed shock. Means that, that means even though Powell and David Rubenstein that I saw on Fox Business uh, says that uh, prices are starting to come down, an oil shock will just send us back into a very bad spiral. Right. No, I agree. I agree with all that. Look, the, the, you know, go back. Economic policies are still not good. Uh, David Patterson's party still wants to be the party of big government socialism. I'm sorry. I happen to love David Patterson, by the way. But, uh, you know, he's going to have to call Biden to straighten him out. With us this morning is Dick Morris. Well, he was a consultant and a strategist for Bill Clinton, a strategist for Donald Trump. And he's one smart guy and he keeps his ears in Washington close to the ground. So uh, let's see what he has to say this Sunday morning. Dick Morris. What's up in Washington this Sunday? Everybody in Washington is talking about what will happen if Biden doesn't run again. If Biden does not run again, Harris is in the lead at 15, followed by Michelle at 14, followed by Buttigieg at 9, and then AOC and Hillary and Klobuchar and and, um, Warren and Sanders all draw significant shares of the vote. 
So if Biden doesn't run, the Democratic Party shatters into a thousand pieces, like hitting a plate glass mirror with a rock. And uh, not two neat factions that face it off with each other, uh, 20 candidates vying for a share. And that's really what the Democrats are looking at if Biden isn't the nominee. Well, you, you're, you, listen, you've been on the ground in Washington forever. Um, Harris and Hillary, uh, I don't think uh, Hillary is a pretty good debater. I don't think uh, Harris could survive that debate. No, uh, and Hillary, Harris doesn't need a debater of the caliber of Hillary. Any of those guys would do. I mean, she's terrible. Uh, her most notable comment was when she was visiting, talking about the war in Ukraine. She said, you know, Russia is a very big country and Ukraine is a very small country. I guess that was in her briefing book. So, um, I mean, look, we have a heritage of three women who pretended to be vice presidential candidates. Geraldine Ferraro, Sarah Palin, and, and Harris. And all three of them have fallen very far short. All three of them have been found to be shallow, not substantive, uh, unable to handle themselves in the pressure cooker of Washington. And Harris is just following in Palin's and Ferraro's footsteps. To a credit, Ferraro did fine until she tripped over her husband and his business dealings. Well, Dick Morris, uh, tell me what you're going to talk about on your show at noontime today, this Sunday at 12 o'clock on WABCradio.com, 770 on the dial. What are you going to talk about? Biden posed a unique challenge to Republicans in his State of the Union, because in addition to talking about the big stuff where he'd obviously failed, he focused on small bite-sized items in the agenda, like deposit fees uh, when you make a deposit or credit card fees or uh, airline cancellation policies, things that are small bore but that in capping insulin, things that are small bore but the average person wants and he can deliver, Biden can deliver. And the Republicans had better pivot and stop talking about the macro issues and start talking about the issues that affect each individual specific person. Dick Morris, I'll be listening at noontime today. Thank you for bringing us uh, up to date on Hillary and on uh, Harris, if that happens. And God bless you and God bless America. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.